Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Good morning to you. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, I've been doing this with you every weekend long enough to know that uh, we're right upon Thanksgiving, and that is one of, if not your favorite holiday. No of question the year. about it, Jason. Uh, we're here. I mean, almost, I mean, this is uh, the, the weekend where we should begin our Thanksgiving celebration. Uh, and of course, we have another week to go, Thanksgiving being next Thursday. Uh, of course, uh, this year, uh, for many of us, uh, with good reason, will be tempered. I know uh, that we're not having the large family gathering that would be our norm. Uh, normally, we have uh, my sister and her family, and my brother and his family, and they all. Uh, we're sort of in the middle in Raleigh, and so um, you know it is not unusual for us to have uh, fourteen or fifteen people around the thing, you know, our dining room table. Uh, to uh, to celebrate this this year, uh, it, it, uh, it it will be uh, the two of us, uh, and we hope that our two children and their brides uh, will uh, join us. In fact, we didn't expect uh, our youngest son, who is uh, in law school. Uh, to be able to join us because uh, in past years his exams have been after right after Thanksgiving. This year, not so. He's in the middle of exams uh, right now. In fact, he may have finished his exams yesterday. Um, and so uh, the bottom line is there's no reason they can't come home. They had a shortened semester because of COVID and um, uh, you know, obviously, a lot of it was online. Uh, unfortunately, I hate that for all students, quite frankly. But uh, at the same time, it might be a blessing for us. So we may have as many as six around our table. But that's not the way we normally celebrate. But I mean, this is the time of year that we have to give thanks uh, for the small things and the big things. I mean, yes, Thanksgiving is my favorite time of year, but. I also have to I have to ask you, do you have your Christmas tree up yet? We, we do not have the Christmas tree up yet. Well, we have a, a nine-month-old at home, so uh, that's that's a hazard right now. Well, no, no, no. You just can't put the ornaments low down on the tree. That's true. That's you got a half-tree kind of going on. <laughs> but, you know, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, Thomas, my youngest, got married in July, and, of course, his uh, wedding was tempered, uh, just I mean, because I, you know, all the all the brides and grooms out there uh, th th since COVID hit us have had to deal with some pretty difficult situations in terms of of the norms, uh, and so our hearts go out to them as well. But uh, one thing we've learned about Thomas's bride is is that she loves Christmas. And, you know, it was like the day after Halloween, she was celebrating. You know why? Because she assumes that the day Halloween is over is the beginning of Christmas. So she put her Christmas tree up November 1st. <laughs> She's well ahead of the rest of us. Usually I'd be judgmental, but for 2020, I say go for it. Yep, go for I, it. I do too. Yep, that's uh, not, not, not an issue at all. But... Anyway, um, I, w I did want to uh, uh, talk about something that is important to all of us, and that is 
uh, at this time of year, when we're grateful for everything we've we've got, oftentimes we also think about, okay, what can we do for others? Um, you know, gifts that we might get. Now, obviously, a lot of folks are already starting to do Christmas shopping and and, uh, you know, we're looking towards Black Friday, and, of course, that's really already started by most of the merchants. Uh, you, you can go do your Black Friday shopping today. <laughs> so, but but uh, that's really not uh, exactly what I'm talking about. It, it's Some folks are even rethinking how to uh, give their legacy to their children. And what I mean by that is that some families, and and this is where this this is the kind of thing where uh, your unique situation should control these kinds of decisions. But the fact is, is that some people are seeing their children struggle, and as a result of that, uh, they want to be generous to their children. So some folks. Uh, are even starting to give significant gifts uh, to their children. And and they get one benefit by that, and that is that they can see uh, how that might help their children while they're still living, as opposed to leaving it to them in uh, a legacy uh, type of way. Now, the truth is, this is a very unique kind of thing, uh, because uh, from my own perspective, uh, there should be some parameters ab- about that. And, and this, truthfully, would be dangerous for many of us to do that. Uh, and, and what I'm getting at is uh, even though we want to help our children, uh, one of the issues that you really need to look at is, okay, uh, what what? How are we living? What? What are? What's our standard of living? And more than likely, for most of us, our generation is actually living better than our parents. Even if our parents were well to do, uh, if we've done equally as well as our parents, likely we're actually living a higher standard of living than our parents did. Just like they lived a higher standard of living than their parents or or the generation before them. But, you know, this generation, your generation, is having far more difficulty keeping up with the parents. (laughs) And, in fact, for most folks, uh, the smartest um, uh, way to live is at a standard that's below where your parents were. Uh, Because if you're trying to keep up with where your parents are, likely is you're spending all your money to do it and not being able to put money back for savings or otherwise. And then here we are hit with a pandemic, which makes it even harder for your generation to succeed. So guess what? That puts pressure on us as the older generation to help you out. And so the question is, how much should we do for you? What do you say about that, Jason? Oh, well, you put me on the spot, Bill, but as <laughs> as much as makes sense, I, I guess is what I would say. Well, you know, for a lot of folks, the answer is not at all. Y'all should figure it out on your own. <laughs> you know, it's not like 
you weren't reared and given, you know, a good education and those kinds of things. And it's like you have to make your own decisions and live with those decisions. Um, and, of course, the economy is going to go up and down. It has done that during our lifetime as well. Uh, there's going to be crisis. There's going to be uh, issues. And that's going to be true for every generation. But the first thing I would say would be, uh, okay, if you're relatively young and you've amassed uh, a fortune and you want to uh, help your children out uh, where it's not going to impact you at all, uh, either now or in the future, uh, then so be it. If that's what you want to, if you want to spoil your children, go right ahead. <laughs> but you have to be careful about spoiling your children too, because then the expectation is far higher. So the first rule of thumb is sort of the the uh, airplane safety briefing that they give you. Now you know some folks have probably forgotten what it's like to be on an airplane, <laughs> but I think everybody remembers the safety briefing, which is what. If the if the cabin depressurizes, what's the rule, Jason? You put your mask on first. There you go. So there, and I think that is the rule. In other words, you put your own mask for uh, on yourself first before you put it on others. In other words, take care of yourself first because if you don't do that, you can't take care of others effectively. And so. Uh, okay, be a little selfish. Uh, that's okay. I've I've seen so many times the opposite, where uh, parents give the shirt off their backs to their children, and they run out of money. They don't have enough. And guess what? The ch- children don't respond in kind frequently. In other words, the parents need help. There are a lot of children out there that say, "Well, too bad." Uh, <laughs> And now, there are an awful lot of children out there who do come forward, but I'm just simply saying that, you know, giving the shirt off your back where you don't have enough is not the right way to go. I mean, that's something that's really important. And, of course, there's a huge mistake that so many people make, and that is the presumption that their life will be cut short. In other words, that they're not going to live past 75. Uh, when all the statistics say otherwise, people are living longer and longer. Do you know uh, uh, what the life insurance companies are really expecting? Maybe not for your generation, but for your baby's generation. Do you know what what their their expectation is for a percentage of the population? I do not. One hundred and twenty years old. Goodness. In fact, if you buy life insurance, the illustrations are out to one hundred and twenty now because the expectation for babies born within the last five years is that there will be a percentage of them that live to be one hundred and twenty. Uh, now. For me, what that means is there'll be a greater percentage of us who live to be 115 or even more to 110 or 105 and 100, which when we were born, that was, you know, one out of a million. You know, that was just so statistically unlikely that 
it's scary. And so what I'm getting at is there'll be far more people in the future that live into their 90s and live to 100 plus. Now, that becomes pretty scary when you're really talking about, will I run out of money? Will, will I have enough in retirement? And so, in essence, uh, that is something that uh, is really important for us to understand when we're thinking about making a gift. So the other thing that I have to tell folks is for those folks who might need help financially if they need nursing care in the future, knowing that nursing care in the future might be $8,000 to $10,000 a month, there are very few families that really can pay for that very, for very long. So what I'm saying is there are an awful lot of us out there who actually will, in fact, need financial assistance if we need that kind of long-term care help. And so for those folks who are in their late 70s or early 80s, you have to temper your um, uh, the, the, your want to give uh, large gifts to your children. Because if you need financial assistance when you go to a nursing home, and of course nobody wants to go to a nursing home, but the fact is the gifts that we make within five years of an application for assistance will come back to haunt us. And, and in other words, there's a penalty that's exacted for those gifts. So when you're thinking about making, now if you're younger and have plenty of money, fine. But as you get older, it's better for you to retain your resources for your own needs and then allow your children to inherit them. Because for those folks um, who may need financial assistance, which is the majority of us, then um, tempering those gifts uh, can be extremely helpful. Um, now, uh, I guess what I could do is, I know you're looking at me like we need to take a break, so uh, I want to come back with some things that for those families who are very well-to-do and want to do something in the gift-making category, I want to talk about that very briefly and then go on to some other issues. Excellent. We will get to that. If uh, you like some of Bill's tips that he's discussed so far, particularly about making sure that you're in the best position, if you need assistance in a long-term care situation, you probably want to attend Bill's seminars. These are great ways to learn more information and great advice similar to what we've discussed so far. It's free to attend, free to register. All you have to do is go to WGA Law. Dot com And just click on the seminars button there. You can register for free for the seminars coming up in December. These are in the form of webinars, so you can do it from the comfort of your own home. All you need is a computer with Internet access and an email address, and you're good to go. This is happening Wednesday, December 9th, and Bill has two seminars, one covering long-term care assistance, Medicaid, veterans benefits, and the other covering asset protection and trust planning. Again, they're free to attend. You can even attend both if you want to. Bill has plenty of people who do that. Just head over to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back.
Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong alongside Bill Alexander, and we thank you for joining us today. Bill, we're having a discussion uh, sort of surrounding Thanksgiving and the idea of giving gifts and wanting to pass those on. And um, you've sort of cautioned us on why we may want to uh, reconsider that for a lot of folks. But for those who are in that high wealth category, you have some uh, some suggestions for them. Absolutely. Well, well, let's uh uh, let, let's go to the theory that, uh, number one, uh, we have plenty of resources, plenty of income and assets backing us up so that we don't have to worry about ever running out of money for uh, ourselves, uh, for me and my spouse. We're, gonna, we're good. We have plenty of money to help our children, and we want to help our children. So uh, now, I would like folks to rethink what's really important in helping children, because many of us can, in fact, do some things that could be significant for our children. However, it may not be what our children would like us to do. <laughs> okay, so what am I talking about? Well, first of all, oftentimes I see... Uh, grandparents, particularly, who they you know they have a shorter life expectancy, and they know that they've got plenty of money, and they know that they're not they they're not going to have a problem if they need long term care assistance. So they're in other words, they're in a good position financially, and they want to help their grandchildren. Well, you know what most grandparents do when they're thinking like that? They want to help set up a college fund for their grandchildren so that they know that their children or grandchildren will have enough money to get through college. You know, they see their children struggling, okay, but the grandchildren shouldn't have to worry about going to college. Well, I I think that's admirable, but I think there's something that's even more important, and, and that is, is that, you know, our grandchildren can find a way to go to college without the grandparents actually, uh, you know, getting a college fund done. Because uh, there are a lot of ways to go to college uh, at no charge or at reduced uh, 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 costs uh, where it's obtainable. You know, anybody who has worked hard can get a college education. I don't, you know, that's uh, clearly doable. Plus, Truthfully, it's the parents' responsibility to help the kids uh, to get a college education. So what is it that you could do that might be even more important to that grandchild? Well, to me, it's all about retirement. And, of course, that's not even a faint glimpse in, in the mindset of a young person but the fact is, is that if you r- listen to the fact that you might be retired for 30 or 40 or even 50 years, I mean, for most people, it's going to be somewhere between 25 and 50 years that you have to have enough money for retirement. Well, you know, 40 to 50 years from now, uh, at least all of the futurists are saying that Social Security, while it will still exist, is not going to be enough money to pay for much other than possibly pay for your medical care. So what does that mean? It means that people in retirement have got to have saved enough money 
to pay for everything else. And everything else is a lot because you're talking housing, food, transportation, entertainment, uh, and all of the other things that go into keeping us alive and hopefully healthy and happy. And so the point is, is that the best gifts to me are those gifts that will help our children when they get towards retirement. Because I do think that working years, just like for your generation, will be a greater struggle at each generation than it has been for my generation or for my parents' generation. So, you know, there are uh, life insurance policies that a grandparent can purchase for a child or grandchild that are designed for retirement, that where, you know, it, it becomes a multi-million dollar fund where people can borrow enough money out of that policy for the retirement years. That is an extraordinary concept that is a very powerful gift because um, you can take a little bit of money now while a, ch- a grandchild is very young and turn it into something very powerful in, in later years for them. So it doesn't really cost you that much to actually do it. Another option for a lot of folks, particularly for our grandchildren who are a little older, you know, like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, and they've just started working or they have their first job uh, and they're actually getting a paycheck. Well, we can help those children with Roth IRAs. There's nothing better than a Roth when your income tax is very, very low. And, of course, when you're young is when your income tax is at the very lowest if you have any tax at all to pay. And to the degree that you can contribute $5,000 or more to a, a Roth IRA at that age, well, it's got years and years to grow income tax-free and then be distributed out income tax-free. Two very good concepts. But the question is, what's more important? Uh, is it the college education, which is important, no question about it, or is it retirement? And because there are a lot of folks who are college educated, but guess what? They choose careers that make very little money. You know, think of teachers and policemen and firefighters and they're wonderful people or nurses. You know, they they have chosen to be helpful to society in a way, and they've chosen to, to earn less money. So are pensions going to be available for those folks when they retire? Probably not. So retirement is a much, much bigger issue in the future than it has been in the past. And it's always been an issue, but it's, it's going to be a much more important issue as each generation comes along. So I'm just trying to get people to think about these kinds of things because what's worked in the past may not work very well in the future. And so I hope that just by getting people to think about things like that, they may be able to do more for their children and grandchildren. And, and while it might be, it might not have that immediate gratification that uh, so many children and grandchildren love, uh, what you're really doing is, is more important for them. It's a gift that uh, will have that delayed gratification to it. You know, you may not be, even be around to see it, but uh, as you mentioned, Bill, you know, the prospect of being able to uh, have enough money to live off of as our life expectancies continue to grow 
you know, that's a burden that we don't want anyone to live with. And if you can give the gift of uh, allowing someone not to worry about that, then yeah, that that may be better than a, a college tuition fund. That's something that you'll have to consider. If you are interested in scheduling an appointment to speak with Bill, maybe uh, you have some uh, documents that you need to get in order and you want to set up an estate plan for yourself, schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. Go online to wgalaw.com, wgalaw.com. That's also where you can register for Bill's seminars coming up on Wednesday, December 9th, Wednesday, December 9th. And you can also call 919-256-7000, A quick break and back with more You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be back after this. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. Bill, we're going to switch gears here just a little bit, and we're going to be talking about Social Security elections. These are uh, This is a very important decision that I don't think folks have a, a whole lot of guidance on because it's uh, uh, once you set it, it's, it's there, Bill. Well, no question about it, but it does relate to something I've already said, and that is one of the biggest mistakes that people make is assuming that they will die young. Um, in other words, if uh, now, obviously, there is a percentage of us who do, in fact, die young, uh, either because of an accident of some kind, car wreck, plane crash, whatever, uh, or uh, we're unfortunate to where we've inherited uh, some horrible disease that takes us out early. But the majority of us, the, I mean, the large percentage of us will live even beyond what the current life expectancies are. So statistically, the majority of us will live into our 80s and late 80s. Uh, And of course, women do have a longer life expectancy than men on average. Uh, most, and it also depends on if you're healthy at age 65. If you're healthy at age 65, then your life expectancy is clearly in the mid to late 80s for men and women. So, uh, and of course, you can factor in your own um, uh, family histories and things like that, and whether you suffer from the things that your parents may have suffered from or not. You know, there are a lot of factors, but nobody knows when we're going to die. But decisions that we make, financial decisions, have to be made rationally based on the best uh, information that we have. And of course, uh, the, uh, one of the biggest factors is our health and what is our life expectancy and what decisions we make, particularly when it relates to Social Security. And the first thing I'm going to say about Social Security elections is it's not simple necessarily. Uh, And so particularly for those folks I want to focus on for a few minutes, and that uh, uh, my focus is on those who have lost their spouse through death or divorce, okay? Because 
those elections are the ones that are the most complicated and the ones that people screw up more than any other election. And part of it, part of the screw-ups is because people actually listen to the Social Security advisors, uh, you know, the people who work for Social Security, who basically don't really know the situation at all. They just, you know, they put the form out there, sign here. And you could be signing away over $100,000 in benefits because you make the wrong choice. It, you'd be surprised how many very bad advisors that are out there. Uh, or you just you choose to take your Social Security at the first opportunity. You know, I can take it when I'm 60 because I lost my spouse. Uh, okay, yes, you can, but is that wise? And and oftentimes you're throwing away $100,000 if you take your Social Security at the wrong time. Uh, and, and, you know, to me, if you've lost your spouse and you've been given bad advice and you take your Social Security or the wrong election and it costs you $100,000 in benefits – you know, that's adding insult to injury. I, I mean, to me, whether you've lost your spouse by divorce or death, I mean, these are where uh, the, the decisions can be extremely um, uh, helpful. So the most important thing is to know what your options are before you make any Social Security election. Uh, and you need to be talking to re- a good advisor. And I would tell you to stay away from the Social Security Administration when it comes to advice because you're more likely to get bad advice than good advice. Uh, and see, those folks are limited to about 10 minutes as to how much time they can take with each person anyway. So do you really think you're going to get a, a good advice from somebody who's who's looked at your case for 10 minutes and not, knows nothing about you or your family history or your life expectancy or your needs? So uh, typically, I would say the general rule for Social Security is if you're in good health and you're not starving, uh, then delaying your Social Security election is typically in your best interest. Uh, that's for a single person. Now, for a married couple, uh, you know, where you were married and now you're divorced or you, you're widowed, uh, and this is, this is not gender-specific. It, it basically works exactly the same way, whether you're male or female, when it comes to these decisions. Um, but uh, basically, uh, let, let's talk about, uh, first, what if your spouse has died? Well, the first thing is that it gives you an election to take your spouse's benefit rather than yours. Uh, and so as long as you have been married for at least nine months prior to death, even if it's a short-term marriage, if you've been married for nine months, then there is actually a full spousal benefit for a widow. And if you're divorced, if you were married for at least 10 years, then again, there is a widow or widower's benefit based on your uh, ex-spouse. And so that's really important for you to know as well. 
Now, when you lose your spouse, the earliest age you can take a benefit is when you turn 60 years of age. If you're disabled, you can actually take uh, a spousal benefit at age 50. So those are important uh, years to remember. However, for most of you, it's a horrible mistake to take your benefit at age 60 because what they're not telling you is that if you take any benefit, whether it's a widow's benefit or uh, a, a, um, a, a divorcee benefit based on your spouse, you will take you will get a lifetime penalty that is substantial if you take it as early as 60 years of age um, that will carry with you for the rest of your life and reduce your overall benefit because you're to get a full benefit you have to be at full retirement age which for those folks who are younger now the full retirement age is 67 and frankly that age may go up in a few years depending on how they are trying to save social security but for my generation it was 66 uh for those uh, younger folks, it's 67, and for those in between, it's somewhere between 66 and 67 in terms of your full retirement age. So it's really important. And of course, if you don't know what your options are, in other words, you don't know what the amount of money is at each level, you can actually get that information from the Social uh, Security uh, benefits, but anytime you file for Social Security before your own full retirement age, the uh, amount of money that you get is going to be significantly reduced. Now, I'll use my own uh, uh, my own situation to give you a, a little bit of a hint of how it works. If I had taken Social Security at the earliest age for me, now I, I'm not. This is not based on being a widower or a divorcee. My full, my earliest retirement age would be 62. If I had taken my own account 60, at 62, it would have been a little over $1,500 a month. If I had taken it at full retirement age for me, which would have been age 66, it would have been right about $2,500 a month. And by waiting until age 70, my Social Security benefit will be right at $3,500 a month. Well, that's a big difference for waiting eight years, <laughs> if you follow my drift. And there's another benefit for waiting for me as well, is the fact that every cost of living increase will be significantly higher than if I had taken benefits at age 62. Uh, and any time before your full retirement age, there's a penalty that lasts your lifetime. And if you take it full retirement age, then there's no penalty, but you can actually get an 8% bump per year guaranteed for each year that you wait, uh, and of course it's a monthly increase, but it amounts to 8% per year uh, by waiting until 70. And there's no reason to, to wait past 70 because there's no benefit for that. So anybody who's waited should take 
uh, at age 70 no matter what. Uh, but the other thing, and so the point is, is that you can take on your own retirement or you can take on your spouse's retirement. Um, and, but, and so you really need, if you're widowed, you really need to figure out whose benefit is going to be higher at, at a particular age. So you may want to take on your account at a particular age, whatever's in your best interest, but at age, uh, could be 60, then if it's 60, you have to take on your spouse's benefit. If you wait till 62, you can wait and take on your own benefit and leave your spouse's until you're 70, uh, and then move over to that. But even then, if you take it 62, there will be a penalty on what would have been the highest. So if you wait till full retirement age, then you can get the full full load. Now, I know I've said a lot, and I know we need to take a break. So when we come back, I want to talk about what if you're divorced? How does it work there? Okay, that's a good question, and as you can see, this is a uh, a topic that sounds easy on the outset. Hey, I'm just picking my social security election, but there is a lot that goes into it, and this is why we're covering this subject so that you have all the information that you need. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, maybe you're interested in attending his seminars. Go to WGA Law. com. There you can click on the seminars button. Bill has two wonderful seminars, one dealing with long-term care assistance and that deals with medicaid and veterans benefits it's free to attend free to register go to wgalaw.com click on the seminars button and the other seminar deals with asset protection and trust planning you can also call the office 919-256-7000 919-256-7000 a quick break and back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we will be right back This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong here alongside Bill Alexander, and we're talking all about Social Security elections, and we're going to get into why this is an important decision for those who may happen to be a widow or a divorcee, Bill. Yes. Now, before I say anything else, uh, let me say that the most important thing for folks is to get good advice. Where do I get my advice? I know a lot about Social Security, but I went to an expert myself, and I went to Warren Coble, C-O-B-L-E. He's in Ashboro, Warren Coble and Associates. Uh, they are not attorneys. They're Social Security experts, and I don't know of anybody in the entire country that does a better job than Warren Coble. He has not paid me to say this. Uh, I, I can say he's a friend now. But he's the best. And even uh, for my own purposes, I went and verified everything about our, our own Social Security elections with Warren. So you can Google him and get his phone number. Most of the work he does is over the telephone, uh, and he's ex- he's cheap. <laughs> he's worth the money in a big way. So you're making a mistake if you don't. Okay. You're divorced. If you were married for at least 10 years, there is a social potential Social Security benefit on your ex-spouse's work history. That's important for you to know because you have one on your own work history. You have one on your, your ex-spouse's work history as long as you were married for 10 years. 
That is, assume if you have not remarried prior to age 60. That's important. If you've remarried and you're 59 or younger, uh, or 59 and a half and younger, then you lose the benefit, potential benefit, on your ex-spouse. Now, once you're 60 years of age, if you should remarry, then you can take uh, a benefit on your own account, your ex-spouse's account, and your new spouse's account. As long as you, you're married for at least nine months, then you have a benefit on your new spouse as well. So that's huge for folks to understand. Uh, now, of course, there's some other parameters when it comes to your ex. And no, your ex-spouse will not know that you have claimed on your ex. Uh, that's private. The Social Security Administration is never going to tell them. And unless you tell them, they'll never know. Their, uh, their benefit is not reduced one penny because you claim on your ex's uh, work history. And it doesn't matter whether your ex has remarried or not. In other words, their new spouse can claim on uh, your ex as well. So uh, it's private but you have the ability to claim. Now, if your ex is still alive, you, you can't really claim until they start claiming their Social Security, uh, you know, regardless. Uh, but once they claim, you can claim half of theirs if they're alive. Now, if they're deceased, you get 100% of what they... So if it's important to know what their benefit is as, as well as your own, because then you can make elections between your ex-spouse's benefit and your own benefit. So that's really important. That's why professional advice can help. And if you've remarried after page, after age 60, guess what? You've got three accounts that you can draw, draw on. And of course, that complicates it even more. Uh, depending on whose account gives you the best bang. And don't forget, normally you can switch. But now, uh, in other words, uh, you can switch from your own account to your spouse's account to your ex-spouse's account, depending on circumstances. But if you're divorced, then when you apply for your own benefit, you're also applying for your ex uh, and they will give you the larger amount. In other words, it's you're applying for both at the same time. So you can't switch in that respect, but if your spouse X dies, then that benefit doubles uh, typically. So there are a lot of factors in here that complicates uh, the, the decision making. If that decision is upon you, get a hold of a professional to help you do that, as Bill said earlier in the show, that uh, you don't want to be depending on the Social Security Administration because they they are just so overwhelmed with dealing with uh, us because they, they have so little time to dedicate to each person that you really do want to seek out a professional when it comes to getting advice regarding this because as Bill crunched the numbers earlier, it can be the difference of hundreds of over $100,000 depending on your situation. So again, be sure to seek out some professional advice when making that decision. A quick break and back with more. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. <music> 
This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget that you can register for the seminars coming up in December by going online to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button, WGALaw.com. Bill has two seminars, one dealing with long-term care financial assistance when it comes to Medicaid and VA benefits and the other dealing with asset protection and trust planning. Be sure to go to WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. We will be back again next weekend. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week, and we hope to see you again next weekend. Take care. This has been Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a great weekend.